This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. And this is episode number 18. And I'm calling this episode The Purpose of the Bible. Now, if you're joining me for the first time, The Faith Experiment is about putting faith into practice. And so far, I've been sharing with you my own personal journey of faith and how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. Now, if you have missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, you can get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy for you to keep up to date with every single episode. Well, I love hearing from you on The Faith Experiment, and I would love to hear from you today. Where are you listening to the show from right now? Let me know by texting me on 0488-45311. That's 0488-45311. Or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, in this episode, I have another very interesting giveaway. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 0488-45311. So save that number into your phone, 0488-45311, and wait for today's code word. Now, over the past 17 episodes, I have shared with you my personal journey that started in the wake of September 11, 2001. And over the past episodes, I've taken you step by step how I went from being completely atheistic in my mindset to becoming a believer. I shared how I was led almost by some kind of unseen guide and how I was led to explore ideas and concepts and beliefs and and how I was challenged to question everything that I had believed and I had accepted as being truth. And this quest took me back thousands of years exploring through the manuscripts and artifacts of ancient civilizations. I learned about the longing desire of the human heart. I discovered the purpose of God for humanity and uncovered how to test the many religious texts that claim to be authored by God. And all of that, all of that journey, ultimately led me to Christianity and to Jesus Christ. And for the past 15 years since I finished Bible seminary, I have lived and worked in more than 40 countries around the world, sharing and teaching and preaching the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And not just that this is some kind of nice, feel-good story, but that the same God and the same Jesus are coming back again. Now, as I've traveled and I've met literally thousands and thousands of people over the last 19 years or so since beginning my journey of faith, the most common question I personally get asked is this, Robbie, how do you study the Bible? I get told that people have tried to study the Bible and they don't get anything out of the passages or they get very little. But when they hear talks and hear my story, they ask, there seems to be so much more to the Bible than I can get. How do you study the Bible? And you know, this is probably the most common question that I have ever been asked, even since starting the faith experiment here on Faith FM. It's by far the most common question that has been either emailed in or texted in to me. The question is, Robbie, how do you study the Bible? And so 
I've decided that over the next few episodes, I'm going to answer exactly this question. How do you study the Bible? But I'm also going to be going a little bit deeper. I'm going to be digging a little bit deeper than just this question. Because as good as this question is, this question is what I call sort of a surface question. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a good question. There's no such thing as a bad question. But this is a surface question. Why is it a surface question, you may ask? Well, a surface question is a question that you can see is an obvious question to ask. And you're obviously wanting to receive an answer. But the answer to that question can only come by digging deeper and going beyond the surface. And so to answer this particular surface question of how do you study the Bible, I actually want to explore a number of other different questions that need to be understood before you can answer the question, how do you study the Bible? Now, look, if you really want to answer to that question straight away, you can go jump on YouTube, on Google, or your favorite search engine, and you can type in literally how to study the Bible, and you're going to find hundreds, if not thousands, or if not millions of results that will give you an answer to that question, all varying in opinions and descriptions and concepts and ideas. And to be honest, a lot of the material is going to be good material, very helpful material. And so if you really want a quick fix and you want to answer to this question, how to study the Bible, if you want a microwave dinner and you want to get straight to the answer, then by all means, go try Google, go try YouTube, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a few episodes to answer this question. Because I want to build a foundation that will underpin the whole topic of studying the Bible. You see, when you experiment, it's important to understand why. Why do we need to experiment? Why do you want to experiment? The same thing applies to studying the Bible. Why do you need to study the Bible? Why do you want to study the Bible? To set the context, let's think about this question. How to study the Bible. For many people, and perhaps you're one of them, this is a question that sounds really, really boring. Because after all, anything with the word study attached to it normally implies boring, right? Well, I can assure you from personal experience that when it comes to studying the Bible, it's anything but boring. It's actually quite remarkable, quite exhilarating, quite, well, I guess to put it simply, it's quite life-changing. But that's based on the premise that you are, in fact, studying the Bible. Now, to set things in motion, as we embark on this journey of discovery of the mechanics of studying the Bible, I'm going to start by posing another question. And the question is this, what's the purpose of the Bible? Now, you might think that's a bit of a cop-out, Robbie. Uh, You've been asked a simple question, how do you study the Bible? And you're going to respond by asking me a question, which is, what's the purpose of the Bible? Well, that's exactly what I'm doing. You see, if we don't have an answer for this question of what the purpose of the Bible is, or depending on what your answer is to that question, it will greatly influence the answer to our original question, how to study the Bible. Because studying the Bible, the reason for it, the methodology of it, are all based on an assumption that you understand already what the purpose of the Bible is. And this is why, for many, studying the Bible isn't really that much of a priority. Because the purpose of the Bible is not clearly understood. After all, if you think that the purpose of the Bible is to give a historical account of God's people throughout the course of human history, then you're probably going to treat the Bible more as a textbook on history. And we all know how well studying history books go, right? Now, on the other hand, if you think the purpose of the Bible is to be some kind of guide for our lives, 
then you're really only going to be spending time studying the Bible if you feel like you're somewhat in need of direction or you're feeling a bit lost. But the rest of the time, when you feel like things are going quite well in the direction that you want and you like, then the Bible's not going to be really a priority for you and your methodology for studying it is going to be very different. So you see, the purpose of the Bible underpins everything when it comes to understanding how to study the Bible. And so let's start there. Let's start with what is the purpose of the Bible? Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, we'll look at what the Bible says about its own purpose. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for today's really different kind of giveaway. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. I don't know about tomorrow I just live from day to day And I don't borrow from the sunshine For its skies may turn to pain And I don't know 
Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Roy Bergen, and this is episode 18 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode The Purpose of the Bible. And coming up on today's show is the code word for a very different kind of giveaway. So, on this episode, we're talking about the Bible, specifically studying the Bible. But as I said before the break, before we can look at how to study the Bible, we need to explore the question of what's the purpose of the Bible, because the answer to that question will greatly influence how we study the Bible. Now, interesting fact. In 2011, the Australian Bible Society released data that showed that only two in every ten Australian Christians read their Bibles daily. Yes, you heard me right. Only two in every ten Australian Christians read their Bibles every day. And according to their research, they found that the number one reason why people were not spending more time reading the Bible is because, you guessed it, they don't have time. And yet, according to research released in February 2020, the average Australian spends one in every three minutes online on social media. Yeah, you heard me right. That's one in every three minutes is on social media. The report showed that the average Australian spends five hours connected to the internet per day, and most of that time is connected to social media. Now, none of that's probably surprising to the vast majority of us. We all know how embedded and entrenched mobile phones are and the use of mobile services are. You can't catch a bus, you can't catch a train, you can't even walk down the street without seeing most people walking around or sitting down with their phones out. And most of the time, it's flicking through Facebook posts, it's scrolling up on Instagram feeds, it's reading tweets, it's watching TikToks, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So why do I bring this up? Remember, we're looking at how to study the Bible. And as I said before the break, answering that question, although it's a good question, it's not the best place to start. Now, I know what people mean when they ask that question. They're wanting to know what's the secret, what's the formula, what's the pattern. You see, people are looking for templates. We're looking for steps and procedures, something that if I can just copy it, I can arrive at the same result and the same conclusion as somebody else. And although that sounds logical and sounds like a good idea, the problem with it is, is that we're dealing with a surface question looking for a surface answer. And as you well know, if something is only surface, it rarely lasts. And these two studies, I think, point to that fact. You see, on one hand, we have only two out of every 10 Christians reading their Bible daily, and that's because they don't have time. While on the other hand, 
The second survey results show that the average Australian is spending an average of five hours connected to the internet or one out of every three minutes connected to social media. This would suggest that while Christians are saying that I just don't have time to study the Bible, the average Australian is saying I have one in every three minutes to spend on social media or five hours a day connected to the internet. So if you compare these two outcomes, you'll find that there is something more behind that data. Clearly, Christians have time. Where did this one in every three minutes come from after all? We didn't have social media 20 years ago. Or where did these five hours a day connected to the internet come from? Because going back, say, 30 years ago, we didn't have the internet to be connected to. So it's not like we've managed to create new time. It's just that we found something more important to use our time on. And so what this suggests is, is that the average person I'm talking about Christians here. The average Christian doesn't see the Bible as having enough importance to spend their time on. Now, most people, especially young people, when they're asked why they don't spend time studying the Bible, they only give one of three answers, generally speaking. Number one, because I have no time. Number two, because the Bible seems to be irrelevant for me and doesn't deal with real contemporary issues. Or number three, the Bible is just plain boring to study. So if the Bible isn't important enough to spend time on, then the question is, Why don't they think the Bible isn't important enough? Well, the answer to that question takes us back to the original question. What's the purpose of the Bible? Now, I've asked this question of many, many people over the years, not just here in Australia, but overseas and other Western countries, Asian countries, African countries, European countries, South America, you name it. It doesn't really matter which culture or which country you ask this question in. If you ask the question, what's the purpose of the Bible? Generally speaking, the response you will get is something along the lines of this. The Bible is God's word. Or, the Bible is a set of instructions. Or, the Bible is God's love letter. The Bible is the history of God and man. Or, it's a love story. It's a textbook. And even though the list can go on and on and on, generally speaking, all of the responses are sort of variants of these types of answers. If I was to ask you, what do you think the purpose of the Bible is? I'm sure that most of your answers would also be similar to these ones that I've sampled the world over. Now, as I said before the break, your answer to this question, what's the purpose of the Bible, will influence your attitude towards how do you study the Bible. For example, let's say your answer to the question, what's the purpose of the Bible, let's say your answer is, it's God's word for us. Then, your attitude towards studying the Bible will probably be in proportion to your need or desire to want to know what God says to or for us. So it's probably more of a knowledge thing. Or let's say your answer to the question is that the Bible is God's love letter. Then your attitude towards studying the Bible will probably be in proportion to your need to either see or to be reminded of God's love for you. But if you're already feeling loved, then your priority is probably not reading God's word. Or what if your answer was the purpose of the Bible is it's a history of God and man? Well, again, your priority of studying the Bible will probably be in proportion to knowing that history of God and man. And you can play the same cause and effect game with any answer you give to the question, what's the purpose of the Bible? And so that's why I've stated again and again and again, before I answer how to study the Bible, I want to ask you the question, what's the purpose of the Bible? Because based on your answer to that simple question, I can almost predict what your attitude is going to be like towards studying the Bible. So to unpack this question, what's the purpose of the Bible? I want to turn to the ancient manuscripts themselves. After all, what better source to find to give a definitive reason for the purpose of these manuscripts than the manuscripts themselves? 
In the ancient Greek New Testament manuscript of John, we find a story describing an encounter with Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. One day in the account, Jesus is reported as healing and teaching in the Jewish temple. And the Pharisees, who are like the religious elite of the day, they start to plot to have Jesus killed because Jesus has performed these healings on the Sabbath day, which made Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath and placed him on an equal platform with God. And so these Pharisees want him dead. And so in John chapter 5, Jesus turns to them and says that there were four witnesses that had been given to the Jews. And if they had have accepted these four witnesses, they would have accepted Jesus as the Son of God. But instead, they have rejected all of the witnesses, and in turn, they've rejected Jesus' claim as the Son of God. So the Bible says in chapter 5 and verse 32, There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So Jesus here is basically saying that John the baptizer, who is a forerunner, or the one who prepares the way for the coming Messiah, he was sent as a witness to point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Now the word that's used here in this Greek manuscript is the word martyr. In our English translations, we have the word witness, but in the original Greek language, it's the word martyr. Now, at the time that this word was used and written down in this manuscript, it wouldn't have had the connotation that it does today. When we think of the word martyr, we think of someone who's burnt at the stake or somebody who loses their life. But in the time when this word was used to record Jesus' account here, the word martyr was more like our English word witness and was used in a legal sense. For example, if you ever go to court and there's some kind of evidence that needs to be presented there, normally some kind of witness is brought to the stand. And the purpose of the witness is that the witness has had a first-hand experience with the case and with the facts, and that's why we place them on the witness stand. And so Jesus is saying that for the Pharisees, or for the world then, that the presence of John the Baptist was just like having a witness placed on the stand. They had a first-hand eyewitness who had an experience with who and what Jesus was. So that's the first witness. The second witness, Jesus says, which is also found in chapter 5, verse 36, he says, But I have a greater witness than John, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness. And so now Jesus is saying that they should have recognized that his works or his miracles testify to the fact that he is the Messiah, which means that Jesus' miracles were of themselves a first-hand witness to the claim of him being Messiah. If you could take his miracles and put them on the witness stand and interrogate them and ask questions of them and prod and poke them, you would arrive at no other conclusion other than the fact that they were done by the Son of God. And so that's the second witness Jesus speaks of. Now the third witness Jesus refers to in this chapter is found in chapter 5 verse 37. Jesus says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Jesus is referring to that scene at his baptism where God himself spoke to those in attendance and stated that he is the Son 
in whom he is well pleased. Jesus again highlights that there have been three witnesses or three martyrs that could have been placed on the witness stand and could have been interrogated and could have been prodded with deep and challenging questions and yet all three would have borne the same testimony because they were first-hand witnesses to who and what Jesus is and was. And now, when Jesus comes to the fourth witness, Jesus does something absolutely remarkable, absolutely profound, probably quite shocking to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. This is what he says in chapter 5, verse 39. He says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Now let's look at the first thing Jesus says here. Speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus says, You Pharisees are searching the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. Jesus has just stated what the Pharisees think the purpose of the Bible is. The Pharisees think the purpose of the Bible is obtaining eternal life. And somehow by studying the Bible, in searching deep into its mysteries, by unlocking its prophecies, by delving into its symbolic imagery, somehow you obtain eternal life. This is the purpose of the Bible, according to the Pharisees. The Bible is the source of eternal life. Now, this is what Jesus says the Pharisees believe in regard to what's the purpose of the Bible. Now, remember our question today is, how do you study the Bible? But as I've already said, that's a surface question. We need to go deeper and we want to ask the question, well, what's the purpose of the Bible? Because as we've seen, the answer to that question influences how we study the Bible. And now Jesus has just told us that a certain group of religious people, the Jewish leaders or the Pharisees, they believed that the purpose of the Bible was to obtain eternal life. But notice what Jesus' response is next. After stating what the Jewish leader's belief is regarding the purpose of the Bible, Jesus then says, still in verse 39, he says, But these, which is the scriptures, these scriptures testify of me. Jesus has just indicated that he understands what the Pharisees believe the purpose of the Bible is, and he understands why they search the scriptures or why they study the Bible. But then Jesus says, but, which is another way of contrasting one side, what the Pharisees believe, to the other side, which is the reality of what is the purpose of the Bible. Jesus says this, But these scriptures, they are what testifies or witnesses of me. So Jesus has just stated that the purpose of the Bible is not to give eternal life as the Pharisees believe. The purpose of the Bible is to serve as a martyr, to serve as a witness. A witness of what or of who? Well, Jesus says very clearly, of me. So the purpose of the Bible, according to Jesus, is the Bible is a witness of me. It's a martyr to me. It's a testifier of me. So Jesus has just stated that the Bible exists for the same purpose as John the Baptist, as his own miracles or works, or as the Father's declaration at his baptism. The Bible bears a testimony of Jesus or a witness of Jesus in the same way that those first three examples do. So Jesus' answer to our question today, what's the purpose of the Bible? His answer is, the purpose of the Bible or the scriptures is to testify or provide a testimony 
of me. Now think about that just for a second. How amazing would it have been to be alive at the time of John the Baptist? To be able to stand there in the River Jordan and hear the words of the preacher calling for repentance and remission of sin. And then hearing him as he points across the crowd and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Or imagine being able to see with your own eyes the healing of the sick at Jesus' own command. Or the raising of the dead with just one touch. Or what about standing at the river at Jesus' baptism and hearing the voice of God thundering through the clouds and confirming Jesus' identity. Well, Jesus puts all those three instances into the same category as the purpose of the Bible, being a living, breathing martyr or witness testifying to who and what Jesus is. Jesus places the volume of these ancient manuscripts, the scriptures, into the exact same classification. Their work is the same. Their work has the same effect as you spend time with its pages. It's just like you were standing on the river, Jordan, listening to the preacher. It's just like you were hearing the voice of God. Or it's just like you seeing the miracles of Jesus' own hand. The scriptures are of the same nature. Now, not one of us have had the opportunity to see John the Baptist or hear God's voice rumbling through the crowds or to see Jesus' own hand work miracles. But we all have access to these scriptures. So, in a way, these ancient scriptures which make up the Bible are just like having a living and breathing witness whose job it is to give an account of what it has seen and what it has heard. Well, it's time to take a short break once again, but when we come back, I'll continue exploring today's topic, which is what's the purpose of the Bible? And don't forget to stick around for today's code word. I have a very different kind of offer for you today. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. You are not hidden There's never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS I will send out an army to find you In the middle of the darkest night, it's true There is no distance It cannot be covered Over and over You're not defenseless I'll be your shelter I'll be your armor I hear you whisper Underneath your
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 18 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode The Purpose of the Bible. And coming up is today's code word. Now, before the break, I share with you how over the next few episodes, we're going to be exploring this question of how to study the Bible. But in order to understand this question, we've been looking at another question, a deeper question. What's the purpose of the Bible? Because the answer to that question influences how we approach the Bible and the study of it. Now, we just finished looking at John chapter 5, and there we have a story of an encounter with Jesus and his exchange of words with the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day. And we saw how that Jesus reveals that there are four martyrs or four witnesses that testify of who and what Jesus is. There was John the Baptist. There was God the Father himself. And there were the works that Jesus performed or his miracles. And lastly, Jesus showed that he understood what the Pharisees' belief system was in terms of the purpose of the Scriptures. Jesus says that the Pharisees saw the Scriptures as a means of discovering eternal life. They searched it in order to gain eternal life. But then Jesus comes back and shows that the Scriptures actually have a singular purpose. And their purpose is to be the fourth witness of who and what Jesus is. And so even though the Pharisees had access to the Scriptures, or what we would call the Bible today, even though they were studying the Bible, their why for studying the Bible was not the same why that God gave the Bible. Their why was to study the Bible, in their case, to find eternal life. And that affected how they studied the Bible. And ultimately, this led them to miss the purpose of the Bible and the person it was pointing to. So Jesus clearly demonstrates that the purpose of the Bible or the function of the Bible is to serve as a martyr or a living witness, which can testify of Jesus Christ. So the imagery here is like this. We can think of the Bible as a living, breathing witness that we put on the witness stand and then we proceed to interrogate, to ask questions of, to seek for answers from. But the entire context of that interrogation is Jesus. So the logical question would be, how does this actually work then? How is the Bible actually a martyr or a living witness of Jesus Christ? To understand this, how the Bible is a witness to Jesus. Let's look at a manuscript that was written by the Apostle Paul. It's called the Second Letter to Timothy. And in chapter 3 and verse 14, speaking to Timothy, Paul says this, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, 
which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul confirms that the scriptures were given to lead us to Jesus Christ. But he also adds that there are, I'm going to call them lenses. There are four lenses which the scriptures do this through. Let's have a look for a moment at what these four lenses are that Paul associates with scripture. The first lens is doctrine. And this word doctrine in Greek literally means teacher or teachings. So what Paul is doing here is he's stating that the word of God or the scripture is our teacher. But think about this. How does doctrine or teachings reveal or testify of Jesus? Well, that's actually really quite simple. You see, doctrine provides knowledge. It provides a framework for revealing or testifying of Jesus. It helps us understand what he is like, what he's not like, what he is, what he's not. For example, doctrines teach us or testify of Jesus in regards to how does salvation work or what is sin, what's righteousness, why and what is death? What's heaven? Where and where will hell be? What's the purpose of baptism? What is holiness? How does creation work? What's the reason for social justice? What's the importance of hospitality? How to overcome addictions and all these sorts of things. These are what we call doctrines of the Bible or teachings. And they give us a framework. They show us what Jesus is like and what he's not like. How he thinks and how he acts and how he feels. Without the teacher of doctrine, we would never know what Jesus was like, what he stood for, or what he stood against. So the scripture can be seen through the lens of doctrine, which is our teacher or our witness that testifies about Jesus. But next, Paul mentioned that the second lens of Scripture is to reprove. You see, the Scriptures were given to reprove us. And this word reprove in the Greek language conveys the idea that as evidence is presented, it points out or convicts us where our current actions or our beliefs are wrong. It's kind of like you've believed all your life that each Christmas morning your presents are under the tree because a man dressed in a red suit who came from the North Pole came down your chimney and put them there. That's what your belief system was. But then one Christmas morning you come out into the lounge room early and you find out that the man wasn't dressed in a red suit. He was actually your dad dressed in PJs. That moment was a point of reproving. That's how this Greek word would be used. It shared with you information. You gained insight or doctrine or teaching. And as you did it, it pointed out the error with your current belief. And so now you are reproved. So how is being reproved connected to the idea that the scriptures are given to testify as a witness of Jesus? Well, the scriptures need to show us the facts. It needs to expose certain things. That's the doctrine. But as it does that, it also points out where we are directly contradicting the very character of Jesus. So in that way, the scripture is given to reprove us. Just like if you have a preconceived idea of what happened, what took place, and then when you put the witness on the witness stand and you start probing it, and it gives you facts that are contradictory to your preconceived notion, you are reproved by the evidence. That's how the scripture is testifying of Jesus and reproving us. Now, the third lens that Paul gives is the lens of correction. The scriptures are given to bring correction. Now, on the surface, correction doesn't seem very different to the idea of reproving. 
In fact, they seem quite similar, at least in English. But this word correction in the original language, in the Greek language, conveys the idea of reforming or straightening something out. And so the implication is, is that by default, our nature is not in a right state or our original state. And so through being exposed to this witness of Scripture, by interrogating this witness of Scripture, we're actually somehow going to be restored back to our original state, back to our correct state through this correction. We're going to be reformed. We're going to be straightened out. And so where reproving is showing us new evidence or proof to bring us back, correction is to restore us back to the original path. And the fourth and final lens that Paul gives as to how the scriptures are a witness of Jesus is described as being good for instruction in righteousness. Now, once again, digging a little bit deeper and looking at the original Greek word that Paul chose to use here, it literally means to train up a child in right doing. Another way to say it would be that the scriptures are given to instruct us on how to grow up and live a right life. And the definition or standard of that right life, we look at Jesus. And so no matter how you look at it, it always takes us back to Jesus because these scriptures are a witness of Jesus. Now, this is a lot of technical information. If you'd like to visualize what I've just described, these four lenses, the purpose of the scripture, the four witnesses, if you'd like to visualize that, I've prepared for you an infographic. And if you'd like to get it, you just have to text this hashtag to 4 So if you'd like to see this visually, all you need to do is text hash FE18 info. Text hash FE as in faith experiment 18 episode 18 and info. All one word. Hash FE18 info. Text that to 04 and you'll get a link to a visual of what I've just described to help you try and really grasp this concept. So Jesus says that the scriptures are a living, breathing witness, testifying of who he is. And Paul explains that the practical way in which the scriptures do this is first by giving us a framework of who and what Jesus is like. That's the doctrine. Then as it gives us this new evidence, we're reproved of our understanding. That's reproof. And as we spend time with this witness, we get straightened out and reformed. That's correction. And then we're instructed in right living. Just as a child is raised to be a good and upstanding functioning member of society, that's instruction in righteousness. So, in essence, by spending time with this witness, on the witness stand, with each and every moment of interrogation, we get closer and closer to grasping, to realizing and understanding who and what this Jesus is like. Now, once again, if you would like to get an infographic of what I've just described, you can text the hashtag hash FE18 info, all one word, FE18 info. Text that to 4 Double one, and I'll reply to you in the text with a link to the infographic. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, we'll continue with looking at what is the purpose of the Bible. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for a very different kind of offer. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. 
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04 4531 That's 04 Or send an email to
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen and this is episode 18 of the Faith Experiment, which I'm calling the Purpose of the Bible. And coming up is today's code word for a very different kind of offer. Now, before the break, I was sharing with you how, as we start exploring this question of how to study the Bible, we are naturally forced to grapple with our understanding of the question, what is the purpose of the Bible? And as we've seen, the data suggests that most Christians spend very little time with the Bible, and they cite the reason for this as being that they don't have enough time. And yet, here in Australia, the average Australian spends up to five hours per day connected to the internet, and one in three minutes of that time is spent on social media, revealing that most Christians don't understand the purpose of the Bible, and that's demonstrated because of the priority that we put on the Bible. And as I've already said, what you believe the purpose of the Bible is influences how you study, and to a greater extent, how often you study the Bible. Now, we've seen from the teachings of Jesus that the Bible's purpose is to serve as a living and breathing martyr or witness, testifying of who Jesus is. And we've seen how that Paul explains the practicalities of this. As you spend time in the Bible, there are four lenses that reveal Jesus, the lens of doctrine, the lens of reproof, the lens of correction, and the lens of instruction in righteousness. And through these lenses, we should come to know Jesus intimately. But this should raise a very important question. What's the actual point of knowing Jesus so intimately? I mean, if I've already read the Bible, if I've already understood that Jesus died for me and that there's a gift of salvation, then what difference does it make whether I spend any time studying the Bible if I already believe? Well, you see, there's a bigger picture. The ultimate goal of the Bible, the ultimate goal of this witness, the whole purpose of the Bible can be summarized in the next passage that Paul writes in that second letter to Timothy. Paul says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then in verse 17, he says this, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped with every good work. That's it. That's the ultimate purpose of this witness testifying of Jesus. It's to make men and women complete, to make them whole. Somehow this witness of scripture is going to transform us into complete men and women of God. Now, what's the definition of what this completeness looks like? In verse 17, Paul tells us that a complete person is one that is transformed into men and women of God and is equipped to perform good works. And this word equipped means that we're being supplied with something that we didn't have previously. And what are we being equipped with? Good works. That's what's being supplied to us. We didn't start out with them, but after we're supplied with them, well, now we have them. We have good works. So the purpose of the Bible is this. It's been given to be a witness of Jesus and to provide a framework of how to be transformed into his image. And it does this through four lenses. First, the Bible teaches us about Jesus through doctrine. Second, the Bible reproves us by convicting us of where we're in rebellion in comparison to Jesus. Thirdly, it corrects us by straightening us up in comparison with the life of Jesus. 
And lastly, by instructing us in righteousness. The Bible trains us up like a child to live Jesus' life. And all of this is for the simple purpose of transforming us into men and women of God who are equipped with His good works. So what does this mean to us today? If the Bible is a witness, a witness who has not been interrogated, who has not been questioned, is of very little value. Now, interrogation requires time. So we need, you need, I need to spend time with this witness. A witness is good for nothing if no one ever asks it to share what it's seen, what it's heard, what it's handled. And for that, we need time. Many of us take this witness, the Bible, and we put it on our nightstand. We put it on our bookshelves. We install it as apps on our phone. And we say, we have the Bible. We have a witness. We know who the witness is. But we never actually speak to this witness. I mean, could you imagine being in court and a witness is called to the stand? And we all know that that witness has been at the scene. It's seen everything. It knows exactly the, every fact about the case. And yet everyone in the court is sitting around talking to each other saying, I wonder what happened. I think it was like this. No, I mean, I think it was like this. And the whole time the witness is sitting there on the stand or the bookshelf or installed on your phone and has never been asked to give its testimony. And as we've seen, the purpose of asking for the testimony of the scripture is to have a complete life, to be transformed into its image. So if we're not asking we're not going to be transformed. So, as we get started here exploring how to study the Bible, we want to start from the outset with this foundational belief that the purpose of the Bible is to serve as a witness to you and to me about who Jesus is. And the Bible wants to give us a framework of understanding through doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. And the whole purpose of this is to transform us and to make us complete, and then to prepare us to be equipped for every good work. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who we know and what He's done. And so this is our starting point as we explore how to study the Bible. This is the value that exploring the Bible brings. Now, I said at the top of the show that I had a different kind of offer for you today. And in light of today's topic and understanding that the purpose of the Bible is to testify of Jesus, and that can only come through spending time with it, I'm going to challenge you today to make time each day for the next seven days to spend time with this witness, the Bible. Now, I know most people are going to say, oh, it's, I'm too busy, I don't have time. Now, I've already shared with you the facts. Most of us have plenty of time to invest in other things like social media, the internet, and so on. I'm sure you can find just three minutes every day for the next seven days. Now, we haven't talked about Bible studying techniques, mechanics, methods, procedures, and frameworks. We'll get to that. Trust me, we'll get to that. But for now, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to pick up the Bible and to spend three minutes every day for the next seven days just reading. So what's the offer? Well, this is the offer. If you text in today's code word, you'll join my Faith Experiment SMS group. And each day for the next seven days, I'm going to be sending you out via text message my top tips for reading the Bible. One tip every day for the next seven days. So if you want to get my tips for the next seven days on how to read, not study, but how to read the Bible, then text this hashtag. Text hashtag FE18, hashtag FE18 to 04888 
That's hashtag hashf e one eight to o four triple eight four five three double one, and then you will get one of my Bible reading tips each day for the next seven days. Now it's time for this week's inbox. This is where I browse through the inbox and share your comments, feedback, and questions. If you want to share your thoughts, feedback, or questions with me, then send me a text on o four triple eight four five three double one, or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I've got a text here from Trish from Victoria who says, "Dear Robbie, I have very much enjoyed your sharing of your journey to finding the one true God and becoming a part of God's family. You're very courageous in the many decisions you make." I was amazed in the way the Holy Spirit changed your life. Thank you very much, Trish. It was an amazing journey, and guess what? It still is. I have another text here from Andrew, who says, "Mate, my mum read the quote of the buildings falling down in New York City when I was a kid, and I completely forgot about them until I saw it happen on TV." Short story sent me on the similar journey to yours. That is amazing to hear, Andrew. And you know what? I have heard many, many other people around the world who've had very similar stories to mine and to yours. Here's an email from Evelyn, who says, "Hi, Robbie. Maybe you could explore many different ideas of one specific denomination for a part of your radio program each time, as it would be important information for us listeners to know how other creeds differ." That's a really good idea, Evelyn, and I'll be looking at doing that in upcoming episodes. And here's an email from Chris, who says, "Hi,、hey, Robbie. It's terrific you have put this show together to benefit listeners and not afraid to air your life story. Bless you, sir." Thank you very much, Chris. And here's another text message that says, "Thanks so much for the show. I would love to hear you talk more about Revelation." Well, I'm going to talk about Revelation in upcoming episodes specifically, so stay tuned for that. Well, thank you all for your feedback and your questions. I really do appreciate it. You can text me your comments and feedback on o four triple eight four five three double one, or you can email me on robbie at faithfm dot com dot au. I love to get feedback from my fellow faith experimenters. Well, that's all for now. Next time on the Faith Experiment, we'll continue to explore the theme of Bible study. I'll catch you next week at the same time, right here on Faith FM, for the next episode of the Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on o four triple eight four five three double one. That's o four triple eight four five three double one. Or send an email to Robbie at faithfm dot com dot au and let us know what you thought of this episode.